Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of the Haskin Cast podcast. I am your host, Scott Haskin, and I'm here. Man, I have an amazing interview for you guys this week. Miss Katie Marie Jones is such a dynamic and fabulous young girl. I was so excited to get to talk to her. We've been trying to put this together for about two and a half months. I mean, between her her stage schedule, her uh, working with the Las Vegas Golden Knights as a hostess, it's it's so uh, difficult to find a time where we could actually sit down and clear out an hour for each other uh, where we could be uninterrupted. So I was so grateful for that and for her patience hanging in there as we tried to put this together. Uh, I did not want to give up. I really wanted to talk to her and get her on the show. I think that her interview is so inspiring and uh, and uplifting. And I think you guys are really, really going to enjoy it. So uh, stay tuned for that in a couple minutes. First, of course, we've got a couple things to talk about, though, before I start the interview. I hope that you all had a wonderful Thanksgiving, those of you here in the States, where most of my listeners come from. I do have listeners in some other countries around the world, and I appreciate you guys all tuning in. Uh, I don't know what they do in other countries, but here, you know, every November, uh, we celebrate Thanksgiving, which is a really weird, messed up holiday if you actually look at the reason of what we're celebrating. But I take that all out of it, and I look at the gratitude side of things. I swore to God I was going to stay off social media this week, and I was just going to focus on my project that I'm working on. I've had some real struggles for the first time uh, with a project. I've never, you know, I, I don't have writer's block. I don't typically have problems finding uh, creative avenues for things, but I, I really got in my own way on this one, and uh, I really started second-guessing everything I was doing. Um there's going to be some people that are going to be paying attention to this one. And I, I think I just let that get to me. And normally I don't, I, I, you know, I put things out there for the world to hear all the time and I usually don't think twice about it, but for some reason, this particular one really, really uh, got to me and I was very slow going. And then I found a way to just get through and it was to take little bites. Don't just sit there and try and do the whole thing in one shot. Just take a bite walk away, take another bite, walk away, let it digest, you know, take it in pieces. And that worked very, very well. The first phase of the project is done and I'm uh, reviewing it a couple of times before I send it forward. Uh, you know, I want to make sure that uh, it doesn't, uh, it, that it represents me well, because sometimes when you're writing, you just get in that mode of just a, an outpour. And I think you need to edit a little bit before you send it to someone else to look at, especially someone who you really respect. So that's what I'm doing over the next couple of days. And it will be in their hands by this weekend. And then it'll go from there. And either it's going to move forward or it's not. So uh, I'll see what happens. But I'm very excited to that I completed it. That alone, I think was a great exercise. And um, being that this one was such a challenge, I'm really looking at this as a huge accomplishment. So, uh, as I can keep you posted, I will, there's a lot of issues with this one that, uh, deal with, uh, uh, properties and rights and things that we have to get permission for if it's going to move forward. So, uh, can't really go into too much detail, but, uh, it's, it's through the first portion, which was the hardest part, I think. Uh, so, uh, that's going on. And then, oh my God, huge, huge, huge shout out to Chase McKenna and her group up in Reno. They blew away their goal. They wanted to serve 1,500 meals to homeless people all around Reno, not scouting them out first. I mean, they don't know where these people are. They just made 1,500 meals, drove out in groups and, and tried to find these people, and they made it. 1,500 meals were served to homeless people in Reno, and 1,600 backpacks were made uh, through partially their own money, through donations of uh, materials, through donations of money. 
unbelievable. Uh, so 1,500 meals, 1,600 backpacks. Uh, I, I can't I can't even fathom those numbers. It was such a, a collaborative effort, but that was really spearheaded by Chase. It's her passion. It's her thing that she started. And she got these people together. She found all these people that are in harmony and wanted to be a part of this, wanted to help people. And damn, they did it. And I could not, I, I don't think there's anything that could really warm my heart much more than that, seeing that level of dedication. Uh, I, I'm still sad that this is even a thing. You know, it's almost 2020 and we still have this big epidemic of homeless people and people that are out of work and, you know, all these things that just don't line up as, as, a, as a society on the whole. And uh, it, it's just such a sad thing that that this is still going on. But I'm grateful, so grateful that there's people like her out there and all her team that are putting this together. And as if that wasn't enough, as soon as they were done with that, they were out Black Friday shopping. Why? Because they knew that that was a great time to get deals to help people with their Christmas promotion that they're doing. Not promotion, but their, their uh, charity work that they're doing for Christmas. So her link is in the show notes. Go check it out. And uh, if you're inclined, please, for the love of God, help. Uh, if you don't want to help her, I'm sure there are other groups in your area or, or cities nearby or do something yourself. Uh, but let's all help make the world a better place. Let's all you know, work together to bring everyone together, to be happy, to be fulfilled. Everybody deserves the chance to, to have a good and productive life and no one deserves to be living out on the street. So let's do what we can. In a similar note, on a similar note, uh, I am actually running a little bit of a promotion myself. Uh, for the Mental Sauna 3 Christmas Inflections album, uh, I still have some physical CDs left. So what I've done is I've put them up on my website and there is a PayPal link for you up there. If you would like to purchase a CD, $5 of every CD purchase goes directly to Movies Making a Difference, where my friend Diana Davis and her team is helping people, uh, getting them rescued from terrible situations like polygamous communities and things like that. They've even helped prosecute some of the people and put them behind bars where they belong. And they can't hurt people, at least not the way that they were. I'm sure people in prison have quite a reach these days, but there's a lot that they can't do from prison, which is great. A lot of these people are coming forward and admitting what they've done and they're going to jail. And it's a good thing to see. But the people that are the survivors of that or the people that are trying to get away from the cults while they're still existing, uh, they need help. And Diana's group goes in and they help uh, a transition for them to get out. They help get them set up with shelter and food and, uh, you know, uh, hopefully the start of a new life. And then there's all the people that help her, the people that uh, give money, the people that give food, their time, clothing, uh, shelters, mattresses, all those sort of things. So uh, I want to do what I can to help out. So if you purchase the CD, that money will go to uh, Diana's group directly to see what uh, what we can do to help them as well. And uh, I, I've been very lucky to get to know some of the people that have uh, worked with her group and uh, everyone that I've met has been just absolutely lovely. So uh, thank you for that. And, uh, you know, the the CD is hopefully something that you'll enjoy. And uh, if you want to buy multiple copies to give away to others, you're certainly welcome to do that. Uh, obviously, I want to spread the, uh, the joy of the Mental Sauna series music uh, just as much because I think that that helps people in a different way. And uh, there's so many people that in the last two years, I've been so grateful to find out that they do listen to the music, that it does help them get to sleep or it helps them relax after a, a difficult day or something difficult happens in their life. And uh, some of them play it for their kids. Some of them play it uh, while they're, they're giving birth. There was, there's so many uses for it. And I mean, when I put it out, you know, I hoped that I would reach people. I hoped that I would touch lives. And 
it's, it's just the greatest compliment that people are even giving it an opportunity to see if it will help them, let alone it, it, it actually benefiting them. And some of them, they tell me that they've been listening to it every night for the last few years. And uh, I, seriously, that I, I don't even know what to say. It just, it's, it's the greatest compliment that you can pay an artist. And to know that something that I'm doing makes a difference in people's lives, a positive difference in people's lives, you know, that's to me is, is what it's all about. I, you know, I, I enjoy creating these things, but knowing that there's a, a, a benefit on that level is the greatest gift I could receive. So thank you to all uh, who have listened, who have shared, who've continued to to listen, to play it for their kids, to play it for their families, friends, whatever. Uh, thank you all for doing that because no artist makes it without a fan base and uh, no fan base works without people sharing and uh, letting other people know and, uh, and, this kind of music being that it's a it's designed for healing purposes uh that's one of the best things i think that people can share so i'm going to keep putting it out if you keep listening and uh thank you very much for all of that okay so enough of all of that um let's bring on our guest oh my god she's amazing and i think that you're really going to love this interview i think uh you know she's one of those people that you're just going to want to hug it's like 5 seconds into hearing her voice she is about to go on stage here pretty soon uh, next month with uh, Sweeney Todd. And we talked to James uh, in a recent episode, uh, the one of my friend who's a conductor, and he's actually putting the baton down to act in Sweeney Todd. And they'll be doing that over at the Majestic Repertory Theater. The link will be in the show notes. If you're local or if you're going to be in town, make sure that you catch this show. It's a lovely little theater. And, uh, you know, I, I, I know some of the people involved in the production, and I, I love that there's so much going into the art here in Vegas, not just the big shows and, and you know, the, the big productions on the strip or off the strip, but the arts district has just become such a huge thing in the last few years. It's, it's growing exponentially. And I've got some wonderful friends that are involved in the theaters here and, and uh, kudos to every one of you for following your passion, for helping out, for entertaining people and, and giving us something that doesn't cost $110 uh, every time that you want to go see a show. So anyway, uh, let's bring on Katie and uh, I think you're going to enjoy Enjoy this interview. The bend and snap. Well, there you just heard it, ladies and gentlemen. A little little snippet of her character of Elle Woods in the musical Legally Blonde. And I am so excited and so grateful that my next guest had the patience to take uh, over the, the last month or so to find some time where we could sit down together and schedule this. And I'm so excited to, to talk to her. Let's get right into the conversation. Ladies and gentlemen, Katie Marie Jones. Katie Marie, how are you today? <laughs> I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for all your patience and the the emails going back and forth trying to find a time to do this absolutely thank you i know it's it's crazy right now but um i had to come on because it sounds like so i'm very excited to be oh, here well thank you you know i uh, i tend to think that i'm very busy and i don't have time for anything but compared to what you've got going on i it, i have <laughs> no room to complain Let's let's just kind of take a look at the things that are immediately on your plate. You're getting ready to do uh, rehearsals for Sweeney Todd, so you've got to clear out room in your life for that. Uh-huh. You are is is hostess the right term for what you do for the Golden Knights? Yes, um, we actually we use the term arena host or arena hostess oh. for myself because um, we're in the arena. You know, because some of the other people that are. Um, hosting or either doing stuff outside or they're working for at t Sportsnet or something like that. But we're the arena in arena game hosts. So 
Yes, that is the correct term. Right. You you do some of the other promo with them as well? Um, yes. Every once in a while, they will pull me aside to do some um, internet like promotional videos for the team. For We just did one for license plates last uh, like a couple months ago, um, things like that. So we'll do a lot of like internet promo for that as well. You're a live host, which has a, a one set of pressures. You're an actress <laughs> and a singer that has a different set of pressures. How do you, how do you manage it all between the scheduling and just learning everything that you have to learn to be able to perform to your level? Um, honestly, I, when I take a step back and look at how much is going on in my brain, I kind of freak out sometimes. <laughs> but I, when I'm in the moment, I really just try to focus on one thing at a time. Um, especially like when I'm at the arena, I'm not thinking about what I'm doing at Sweeney Todd rehearsal the next day. I'm really just focusing on what I have to do uh, in that moment at that one hit that we have to hit. You know, I, I just focus in the moment and try to stay in the moment as much as possible. And same with anything else I'm doing. I just try to focus on what I'm doing. And as far as scheduling, that's always hard. But <laughs> luckily, <laughs> luckily, everybody is so um, excited about all the other things that I'm doing as well. So they're very open to, you know, if I have to miss a rehearsal, or if I have to miss a game, or if I have to miss a show, um, they're very open about that. And as long as I give them my schedule in advance, they're very um they adapt to me very well, which is such a blessing. And it's amazing that they are so open to that because some jobs, most jobs, I would say are not. So it's very, it's very, I'm very lucky in that respect. Well, I think that's something that you really created, though, because if you weren't uh, somebody that people really, really wanted to work with, I don't know that they would really give you that latitude. So that really says more about your character and your talent than anything else. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I think uh, I just I try as hard as possible to make everything light and happy. So hopefully that transcends to all of the jobs and they want to keep me around. <laughs> well, you're you're on se season two with the Vegas Golden Knights. So I think that's a huge, uh, huge testament to that right there. Yes, that um, truly, I don't even know how I got that job, but I am so <laughs> excited and and happy to be there every night. Um, and they're an amazing, amazing organization to work for. And so uplifting, like their, their goal is to kind of just lift everybody up and elevate them. So, um, down like every every person that works there, you know, doesn't matter who you are. You'd say everybody treats everyone with respect. So it's it's a, it's an amazing place to be. Well, the interesting thing about a job like that is that uh, you know you're you're exposed to so many people, and you're there to yeah. kind of get people pumped up, keep them focused in the action when the game isn't going well. You're kind of a, a little bit of a cheerleader where you're like, you know, trying to get people to just hang on and hope that they're going to score. And, and yeah. <laughs> it, you're you're seen by people, you know, not just in Vegas where you perform in a play. It's people that go to the Judy Bailey Theater at UNLV or the Majestic mm -hmm. Repertory Theater. Uh, but here you're broadcast on television. So millions of people are watching what you're doing. Is there it, for you, is it the same job no matter what you're doing that you're just there to do the best job you can? Or do you feel that you tailor your uh, emotional connection maybe to the job? Um, I think a little bit of both. I, like I said earlier, I kind of try whenever I'm at the arena or in, 
in rehearsal or in a play or, or whatever the case is, I, I think um, I just try to focus on that and kind of give my all to that. Um, in the moment, obviously, when I go home, you know, I kind of leave that at work. But, but uh, yeah, I think there are different levels of, of, um, of yeah, emotional... I don't even know what word I'm trying to say, but um, emotional connection that you have to have for each show for like, for example, for Sweeney Todd, you know, uh, I have to really get into character for that show and, and understand um, Joanna's character and her background and where she comes from. And she's been locked in a, in a tower. Basically, she's basically Rapunzel for who knows how long, 16 years. And, um, you know, you have to get in that mindset. So there's some, there's more of an emotional um, connection that I have to feel for that. Whereas I think at the game, it's like, I, my goal is to just get everybody excited and, and that, and it, it's still draining and it's still um, a lot of energy that you have to put behind it, but it's in a different way. So yeah, I would say, I would say a little bit of both. I give my all to whatever I do, but the the energy levels are probably a little bit different for each particular event that I'm doing. Well, I, I would think so. I mean, in the theater, you've got, uh, you know, even if it's a sold out house, you have people that are just really kind of sitting there observing. You're not really mm-hmm. seeing a, a huge amount of emotion. They're just kind of watching and absorbing. Whereas at a game, you've got people that are getting physically excited. They're getting up, they're cheering, they're, right. you know, putting their hands in the air. So I would imagine that, that that's more like working a concert where you're feeding mm-hmm. off the energy of the crowd versus uh, just you're doing your job on the stage and, and just hoping that the people are enjoying the show. Right. And it, it, it kind of actually is similar sometimes depending on um, the night and what show and what game and, you know, whatnot. Sometimes, you know, we, we get up there um, at T-Mobile Arena and we're so excited and st- so stoked. And, you know, if we're losing or something, the crowd is just not having it. You right. know? Yeah. So, so it's, it's kind of similar. And there's, you know, some shows that you do where one night you'll have an audience that is just like eating out of the palm of your hand. And then the next night they are, not with it at all so it's kind of it's kind of it's kind of similar um i would say for the most part though at least with um golden knights games everyone is just so happy to be there all the time where like the energy is just through the roof always um and you know sometimes when we're losing it gets a little little sad but but most of the time it's very very uh high energy whereas in a play like you said people are sitting there uh observing they're not exactly getting out of their seats and hooping and hollering right. when we finish a song you know uh sometimes that does happen that has happened before but sure um well i think sports is very sports is very guiding right like whatever is uh-huh. going on in the game the people react to very consistently it's it's uh-huh. very much a, a crowd mentality almost like i'm telling you to do this and you do it so you can kind right. of predict how the crowd is going to work but like you said right. when you're on stage you might have a joke that you have to slow the play down to get to wait until everybody's done laughing and the next night two people cackle a little bit and then (laughs) shut up 
which happens very often. <laughs> um, <laughs> where you're like, I thought that was funny, but okay, never mind. We'll just move on with the show. <laughs> well, and, and what do you really take from that information? Because it's not like you can say, okay, you know what? This joke isn't working. We need to rewrite this because one day it'll hit, the next mm-hmm. day it won't. There's really not much you can take from that, is there? No, um, well, it, it kind of depends. I think if, if, especially the first weekend of a show, I always feel like it's kind of a test to see, you know, if this joke lands or, you know, if the people are really, um, emotionally invested or not. Mm-hmm. Um, so if a joke consistently doesn't land, then for me as an actor, I always try to change it up a little bit and, you know, maybe change my delivery if, it, if it's, you know, if it's obviously supposed to be a joke and no one's laughing, then, you know, there's something something wrong there. Um, but but I think you kind of just have to take it with a grain of salt for the most part and just be like, well, you know, this just that that joke just wasn't for this audience, and that's okay. Like, and you know, you just keep going. Um, but yeah, I think I think it you you can take something from it. I think what I take from it is just. Uh, move on, like continue, um, and still continue to tell the story instead of worrying about, oh man, they didn't laugh at me five minutes ago. Do they even like me? You know, right, uh, yeah. just kind of move on from that and just, just know that you're still doing a good job. I think it's more of a personal thing than it is a overall uh, lesson, I would say. Yeah, I think that's it. I think the audience is really the biggest variable. I mean, there's always uh-huh. problems. A mic goes out, a light breaks, whatever. But, <laughs> yeah. but the audience really is the biggest difference in the show every night. If the if the performers are giving a consistent performance, and by the time you're done with your three or four weeks of rehearsals, you're probably there. Uh, right. Then it's just, okay, Who's who are we dealing with tonight? And if we just <laughs> exactly. keep the train going, regardless, then mm-hmm. we're going to get through it. And I always find too that if there's if there's one person in the audience that is heavily enjoying the show, it brings out everybody else's funny bone. You know, they yes. they are like, oh, that guy's laughing. Okay, I can laugh now too. You know, uh, so if there's if there's that one guy, we're <laughs> we're we're good to go. But you know, I think I think audiences sometimes are scared um, to really let us know that they're enjoying it because they're very much so just just watching and intently trying to figure out the story and what's going on and um unless something is like absolutely hysterical i feel like sometimes audiences find it hard to um throw a chuckle in there because i don't know maybe they feel like they're disrespecting us if, if they stop you know i don't know that's a, that's a very interesting take. I think here in Vegas, a lot of times they're afraid that they're going to be pulled up onto the stage. Yes, because it happens all the time. <laughs> it really does. Even in shows you wouldn't expect it to happen to. It does. It, it was funny. I had just written uh, a, a blog about that, how uh, you know I really would like to go to more shows, but that's one of my biggest fears is that I always feel like I'm a spectacle, even though I, I, can, I can feel like I'm completely unnoticed in the world. But yet, mm-hmm. if there's a potential for one person out of 500 in a room to be picked, I feel like there's like a big spotlight on me for some reason. It could be you, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so I had just written that blog. And then the next night I went to, I think it was Jabberwockies, and they were Amazing, getting ready to yeah. pull someone on stage. I'm like, what was I just saying? And here it's going to be yeah. my turn. And it wasn't, thankfully, I've never been uh, pulled on stage, uh, you know, knock on wood. But uh, I think that is like a really big uh, element of Fear. nervousness for people. Absolutely. My dad, he he loves theater and, and 
he, since obviously since I've been doing it, he's gotten way more into it. But he, anytime I do a show, he's like, okay, is there audience participation? Because I don't know. Like, I, he's absolutely terrified of being called up on stage. It's so funny. But I, I try to, if I'm in a show, I try to tell them like, hey, don't be my dad. <laughs> oh, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> well, how uh, how old were you when you really first started taking it seriously? Um. So it's it's actually weird because I started dance when I was like a kid, like a baby, like four years old. Wow. Um. But I I quit because I didn't really know what I, I mean. I was four, so you know you don't really know what you're doing at that age. But um, <laughs> right. I really wanted to play sports. And so I started playing soccer and a couple other sports and that kind of took up most of my time, um, when I was a kid. And then I, there was like this small drama class in, I went to a private school when I was a kid and I, there was this tiny little drama class and I had to take an elective or something like that. I can't remember why I actually ended up in the class, but I was absolutely terrified and all we had to do was get up in front of the class and like read. We didn't even have to like memorize anything. We just had to read something. And my teacher was like, Katie, you're okay. Like you can go sit down because I was shaking. Like wow. I was freaking out. It was so strange. But that same year, like I just kept working on it. And that same year, um, we were performing, um, scenes and we ended up doing them for the whole school. And, I, you know, at that point had calmed down and could actually do it. And I just remember my parents coming to see it and they were like, you know, you're actually pretty good at this. You should, you should look into it. I was, I think I was in seventh grade. Um, and I was like, oh, I don't know. Um, and then I think I actually really, really started in high school. It was the same kind of thing where like we needed electives and like I couldn't really play an instrument. So I didn't really know what to do. So I was like, oh, well, I, I did theater one time. So. I guess I'll take a theater class. And then just from then on, absolutely fell in love with it. So I think probably around 13 or 14 was when I was like, this is, this is what I'm supposed to do. You know, um, obviously there's been ups and downs throughout that time, but, sure. but still, but it was, I was very, 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 um, taken with the art form at a young age, but I didn't really start, um, taking it very seriously until probably like 13, 14. Wow. And you've obviously come a huge way from being terrified <laughs> to just being able to go out and be right. in front of millions of people. <laughs> you know, I think you've done okay there. Yes, uh, how does it I feel so. before you do a show now, even if it's, you know, not just opening night, but just kind of like, uh, say the middle of a three, a three week run. That's hard mm -hmm. to say three week run. Um, three week run. Yes. Isn't it? That's kind of a tongue twister. <laughs> it is a little bit, yeah. I'm going to stop saying things like that. Uh, if you're in the middle of that thing that I won't say, uh -huh. <laughs> how do you feel before a performance? Are you still just as excited? Are you a little less nervous? Do you even notice? Uh, no, I I am still so nervous. It's like, but not in a crippling way. Um, I think this is so embarrassing, but my my hands get so sweaty. It's almost gross. But then you know they dry and then we're fine after that. But right before we're about to go out. Um, whatever my first appearance in a show is, or um, even um, in the arena, I get so nervous. Um, but I think it's I think it's more of a because I just care so much and I like love 
what I'm doing so much that I just want it to be good. Um, and you know, I have to say a little mantra to myself or, or, or something just to be like, okay, it's going to be a good day. It's going to be, we're, we're going to have a good show or whatever I have to do just to get myself in the mindset. But I definitely still get nervous. Um, not anxious or anxiety or anything like that, but I get nervous and I get the butterflies. Um, just cause I, I love, I love what I do so much that it's just, it, it's still exciting for me every single time. Um, no matter if we're, you know, halfway through the run or opening night or closing night or, you know, whatever it is, I think every, every show is a new show. So mm -hmm. I, I just, I get super excited every time. I love that. And obviously no handheld mics for you for the first uh, couple of scenes. Yes, we can't. We can't do that. They'll flip out of the hands, right. you know. <laughs> well, fortunately, most of the time, I would imagine you're wearing a headset or, or an overhanging yeah. mic on your forehead. Yes. Yeah. Good. Except at the arena, we have the we have the handheld mics, and That's you know, true. my first hit every time, I always have to like wipe my hands off on my pants or something. <laughs> you can always it's try so like uh, gloves with a little bit of Velcro or something on them. You're probably right. I could get some like gold sequins gloves. Oh, you know? there you go. Well, I, I don't think gloves <laughs> at a hockey arena would be too out of the. Uh, out, no. out, you know, wouldn't look wrong. No, I'm gonna get them. You've inspired me. Yes. It's gonna happen. <laughs> this show is about changing lives too. I hey. <laughs> Yeah, you've already done it. So. You know, uh, a, a lot of musicians, uh, really more instrumentalists, when they're writing songs, a lot of times they really don't care about the lyrics so much. They are just focusing uh -huh. on their part. And then the lyricists will add their their uh, idea to the song and the musicians don't really care what the song is about. Is it important to you when you're looking at taking on a new project that you uh, have a connection to the storyline or do you just look at it as... I can play this character because I'm an actor. Um, that's kind of a hard question, but I really, uh, no, it's not. It's not a hard question. I know the answer. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I have actually turned down a few projects because I didn't connect with the story and I didn't feel like I would be able to do as good of a job as someone else. Um, that may be connected with the show a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And I've also been in the position where I've been in a show and as hard as I tried and as much as I, you know, wanted to connect with, maybe I connected with the character, but not so much the show or vice versa. Um, I feel it, it was really, really hard, um, for me to feel genuine and honest in, in the, um, in the performance, which I think did a lot to, I don't know, you know, you always want the audience to not know that you're second guessing yourself, you know, so sure. you want them to, you want them to be right there with you and believing everything that you say and feel and, and all that. And if, if you can't do that yourself, then the audience is going to call you out. You know, they're going to know sure. that you don't feel this way. So I think for me, I, try to do projects that I emotionally connect to or just in some way connect to um, because it helps me, well, it helps the audience, but it also helps me just um, be able to be honest and in the moment and, and truly connect to the piece that I'm working on. Um, but there have, there have been some shows where I've, 
mostly just connected to the character and then did play my role in in the show. Um, but I would say, yeah, I try to only do things that I feel very strongly about because there's somebody else that probably connects to that show way more than me and they deserve to be able to be in, you know what I mean? They, they deserve to be able to be in that show as well. And I would hate to be the person to take that away from someone who might, you know, kill it, like totally kill the show, you know? So I think that's kind of my perspective on it, but luckily for the most part, I feel like there's always something in a show that I can connect with too. So I'm just going to say that was the best answer ever. Really? Yes. I love that because it's not always about us getting the job. It's about the job being done by the right person. Right. You know, and I mean, there's times that we're like, well, I really need this job or, you know, I haven't had a job in a couple of weeks or I don't have anything coming up and I need to do something. Mm -hmm. And you 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 take those gigs because you kind of think it's the best career move, whether it's Mm -hmm. the best move for you as an actor or not, because you have to make those decisions on multiple levels. But right. to, to come at it from the standpoint of I'm not, the, it's not just that this isn't for me. I'm not the best person for this job. Right. I love that because there, there is room for everyone in this, in this industry. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, you know, being the, the warm and bubbly person that you are legally blonde was probably a no brainer. It was, oh my God. I remember getting the call that I got that show and I just, I like screamed. I was so excited because. I uh, actually did the show, I think it was eight years ago now, um, and I played one of the um, Elle's three best friends. Oh, okay. And so, but I actually got to understudy Elle. So it was like one of those like surreal moments where like, you know, you're, you're on stage, you're singing these songs that you've known since you were like 13 years old. And you're like, oh my God, like I'm actually playing this part. You know, mm-hmm. it was so, it was a surreal moment for me, for sure. Um, it, cause you know, it's, I've loved it for so long, but that playing out was just, it, it did come very naturally. <laughs> We're very similar people, I think. Um, so it was, it, it wasn't, it wasn't hard, but it was, there was a show it is actually very physically hard, but, um, yeah, overall, I, it, was, it was an amazing experience. I'm very, very happy about it. Well, when you when you did it the first time, was it difficult to get into your head the differences between the movie version and the adaptation for stage? Um, yes, but I think for me, um, I remember my it, my very first theater class uh, in high school my theater teacher took like a week to watch the um, film's MTV live version of the musical. Okay. So obviously I had known, I had known the movie, you know, since the early 2000s, but um, I instantly became like obsessed with the musical (laughs) after I watched it. So I listened to the soundtrack like every day. I was so excited. I'd like, you know, put on full performances in my room by myself of the show (laughs) playing every character. Um, But so I think by the time I actually got to do the show, I knew the musical probably better than the movie. So not too much, but you know, there are, there are some differences. Um, But I think the, the heart of the show is still 
uh, all there, the hundred percent there. But there's, it, you know, it, they did a really, really great job at adapting the movie to the to the musical. Made all the characters very three dimensional, which I feel like sometimes in the movie you're like, oh, I just hate that girl. Like you don't know why, but you just don't like her. <laughs> yeah. Know? But they kind of give you a reason why now. Even with her friends, they seemed a little over the top ditzy to me. Mm-hmm. You know, and they're both very good actresses. I've seen them in other mm-hmm. things. They're they're definitely acting very well in the movie. But even with Elle, sometimes I was like, okay, she seems like she's really ditzy here, but she seems like she's incredibly intelligent here. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really know how to read her. I 100% understand and get that to- totally from the movie. And I think even in the musical, it's like that a little bit. And it's written that way. And I think for me, when I tried uh, to kind of make sense of all of that, it was, I used, um, you know how when you're with certain people, you kind of take on their personalities. Oh, yeah. Um, like when you're with your mom, you're not going to be the exact same way that you are like with your girlfriends, you know? So I, I used that as like her um, point of, who am I, who am I going to be right now? Because I do feel like, you know, when she was with Warner, she tried to be a little more poised in um, what he wanted. And, you know, when she's with her girlfriend, she's like, Oh my God. Yeah, totally guys. Let's go to the hair salon, you know? And I think knowing like those relationships is it kind of makes her look a little crazy because she is so many different personality types in one show but I also think that's kind of the beautiful thing about that character because by the end of it she doesn't have to play those characters anymore she's just L. like she's just who she is um and you you see that because she finds she finds who she really is instead of you know playing all these parts and she's still you know her bright bubbly self of course because that's just in her but but I do think um, I think that shows shines through a little bit more in the musical than it does in the movie. Well, that's a very, very interesting perspective. I hadn't really thought about that uh, behavior through association uh, angle yeah. before. But now that you say that, that really makes a lot of sense because she is ditzier <laughs> around her friends who are ditzy. Mm-hmm. She's very intelligent around the the lawyers. She she really kind of she's almost like a, a chameleon the way that she absorbs mm-hmm. the environment. Exactly. And she is, um, I mean, she's, Elle is literally in every scene. Yeah. I mean, I think there's like maybe one scene that she's not in. So that's kind of when it clicked for me that like, well, I can't play her one, you know, one straight level the whole show because then there's not going to be a reason to rejoice at the end. But you know, what's the, what's the main theme throughout this entire show is the relationships. So I just really took a magnifying glass to each relationship and was like, well, how am I with my girlfriends versus how I am with my boyfriend versus how I am with my parents, you know, and she's with so many different people throughout the show. There's very few times that she's, you know, on stage by herself too. Mm-hmm. So I kind of just tried to analyze all that and figure it out. But I do think, yeah, that's, that's the way that I went about it. I don't know if that's the right way or not, but whatever. Well, it's, <laughs> you know? it's really whatever way works for you and, and helps mm-hmm. you bring out what you need to bring out to perform the character. But there's, there's mm-hmm. a couple interesting things here. Uh, for one, since you are in pretty much every scene, how did you deal with it? Wasn't there a lot of wardrobe changes? 
oh my God. Yes. <laughs> um, that was probably the hardest part because truly, even during intermission, uh, I was changing. So it was like two straight hours of just either I'm on stage or I'm scrambling to get clothes on, you know? So, uh, that's why I said physically the show is very hard because, you know, just two straight hours, you're just go, 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 go. Um, but the, we had some amazing costume people. I had two girls specifically assigned to just me. And then even sometimes we had a couple other people helping, um, during some scene changes, but that was definitely, the the part of the show that gave me the most anxiety was the oh my god am I gonna get this outfit on in time and you know they they don't build in uh very big breaks for you to change as l so um that was definitely the hardest part but we we got we got through it there was a couple times that I didn't get this hat on that I was supposed to have, but you know, the rest of the outfit was on. So I went on stage, but, uh, for the most part, I think, you know, no crazy snafus. Everything went pretty, pretty smoothly. Oh, that's good. And the other thing, yeah. the other component to that is that you have to do all this, not just quickly, but you have to make sure that your microphone is intact because there are right. not going to be a lot of opportunities to fix it. Exactly. That was, that was a, a really hard thing. I know for the mic technicians, they had to, any chance I was off stage changing, they were checking my mic, make sure, making sure it was on, making sure the tape was taped still, and uh, making sure everything was was still going. Because you know, if if they can't hear me and I'm in every scene, then you know they don't get half of the story. You know, so they uh, they were fantastic. Honestly, our people and um, sound people were just they were on it. Yeah, I I was blown away by how fast they got everything changed and how fast they you know made sure my mic levels were up and and doing well and it, it was awesome. But it is it's a beast. It's a beast of a show. It is, and you guys did that at the Judy Bailey Theater at UNLV, right? Mm-hmm. I thought mm-hmm. so. Yeah, I've run audio there a couple of times, and I just did uh, the first three nights of uh, Fun Home with your oh, yeah. with your co star upcoming James. And yes. what he's uh, wonderful. But there was a similar situation with that. The lead actress was on the stage from the opening of the show and mm-hmm. never left. So yes. if anything happens with the mic, what do you do? I mean, that's it's exactly. not very well written that she doesn't have at least some exit points for emergencies. Right. And I think that show in particular, I saw it and first of all, loved it. It was fantastic. Mm-hmm. But um I I think that show is made for a much smaller space as well. And sometimes I think you can get away with not having mics. Um, I think when I saw, I saw it in New York. uh, It was, I can't even remember when it was probably like three or four years ago. Um, And it was in the circle in the square theater. And I don't know if they used microphone. Mm. I could be totally misspeaking right now, but I, I don't remember if they did. And I don't, I almost don't think they did because that theater is such an intimate space that yes. I think you can kind of get away with not using mics. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's definitely a challenge at Judy Bailey because you have to have microphones in that space. It's such a huge space and, yes. and the, and the, and the space between the audience and the stage is pretty large too. So even if you're projecting, yeah, yeah. 
even if you're projecting like to the extreme, it's, it's still kind of hard to hear. So I, I would say, you know, audiences are pretty forgiving sometimes, um, when it comes to audio issues. And I would, I would say if something like that were to happen with someone who's literally on stage the whole time, have them run off stage real quick and get a handheld, you know, I think an audience would rather that and try and try to forgive the, um, the fact that they're holding a microphone in their hand Mm -hmm. for storyline purposes, you know, that's a good, uh, I, that's, I mean, that we've, I've done some shows out at Spring Mountain Ranch um, at for Super Summer Theater, and that has happened quite a few times because the elements out there are just like insane. You know, you're doing show shows outdoors. You know, you're sweating more than you normally would because it's super hot and in the middle of the summer, right, and yeah. so mic packs go out and things like that happen. Um, and we, I think, doing a performance of uh, the Wedding Singer um, that I was in, we had our lead who was playing Robbie Hart. Um, his microphone went out like three different times. They switched him into another headset mic, not one out. And then he ended up doing the entire show with a handheld mic. Wow. And it was almost like impressive <laughs> how, <laughs> how well he adapted to, and I, I was on stage with him for, for certain moments and I forgot that he had a handheld mic and we just kind of like fudged a little bit of choreography that we were supposed to do. And I just was more aware of, of the mic than, not knocking it out of his hands, you know, stuff like that. Um, but I almost think, especially if I was in the audience, like as an audience member, I would rather that happen than just not be able to hear them the entire show. You know, I would agree with that because it's very frustrating to, especially have somebody who's sort of narrating the story and you can't really hear what's going on. Now you're, now you're depending so much more on visual cues that may not be there because the writer knew they had a narrator. Right. Exactly. So it's, yeah, it's a a hard thing. But I think the real key is having people that know how to project. Yes, that too. I think, and it's hard because there's, there are certain spaces where the sound just kind of eats you up, you know, you, you, you could be screaming and people still can barely hear you. So, and I think, honestly, I think Judy Bailey is kind of one of those theaters where the, it's, made in such a way where sound bounces, but in a, such a weird way that um, sometimes depending on what spot you're standing in, you could hear them like they're whispering next to you. If they're across the, if they're across the stage from you. And then sometimes, you know, they're standing right next to you. You can't even hear them. So uh, it is a weird space to work in beautiful theater. I absolutely loved it. But some, but that theater in particular, I know it's been, it's hard um, sound wise. For sure. It is. But projecting definitely is a must in a theater, even if you have a mic. I agree. And and it is challenging because the stage is incredibly tall. So the sound Uh is going to be affected by that. It's very deep. So the sound's mm-hmm. going to be affected by that. Then you've got the pit between the uh, the performers and the audience. And then the audience, that it's very high tiered. So there's people that are yeah. very high up, uh, you know, up where we were in the sound booth. There's so many challenges in that theater. So if you don't have good equipment and you mm-hmm. don't have good redundant backup ideas or methods to handle that, it can be a very challenging theater to work in. But it's also such a beautiful theater. How do you not want to perform there? Exactly. I remember our first day on stage for Legally Blonde, I was just like, oh my God, I get to perform here. Right. <laughs> it's, it's just so, it's a cool layout because you're looking at the audience 
upward, which is weird. Right. Because yeah. like you can you can honestly, I mean, sometimes depending on you know where the lighting is positioned, you can't see a lot of people. But I, you know, I remember the first time or opening night when I first came out, like seeing pretty much everyone in the audience and and just being like, wow, okay, like this is very cool. You can see their emotions and, and how they're feeling or how they're not feeling, you know? Sure. So it's, it's a really beautiful space to work in too. It really is. I'm so glad that you got the chance to do that. And I hope that, uh, you know, anyone that lives here in Vegas or is in the Vegas area gets a chance to see a show there because even just walking in, uh, it's very impressive. And the people that do mm-hmm. the set design there always do a wonderful job and the lighting's oh, always yeah. good. I mean, it's very top-notch perform- productions. Definitely. Definitely. Mm-hmm. It was, it was a really great experience overall. Um, casting is usually great. They, you know, they, they, they put on really, really great shows there. So I agree a hundred percent. Yeah. The, the first one that I was brought in to work on was Pippin and just walking mm-hmm. in, uh, seeing the costumes, seeing the stage design, the set design, I was blown away by the quality because mm-hmm. I really didn't know what to expect, to be honest. Right. And I, I just thought, wow, this is going to be something spectacular. I hope I can make the audio okay, because <laughs> if I can't, that was a lot of work for nothing from everyone else. Um, what uh, what kind of direction do you, like, what kind of directors do you like to work with? Is there a style that you prefer as an actor? Um, I kind of take every uh, every director face value i feel um i i okay well right now i'm working with troy Hurd, and i've done four shows with him i think no this is my fifth show with him oh, okay. doing sweeney todd um and he is honestly one of my favorite directors to work with because he he will get you there no matter what like somehow he has a way of just digging really deep and making you think of things that you've probably like, even if you've seen and read and heard the score, you, he may, he puts things in a to a perspective where you're like, man, I never thought about that. That's amazing. And it, it really, really um, kind of gets you way more into uh, the show than you probably ever thought, you, you know, you were going to, um, so I really, I really like directors that focus mostly on storytelling. Mm-hmm. I think that a lot of times I've been a part of other shows where they're so focused on how everybody looks or how everybody, you know, how the set looks or, you know, all of the outside elements, which are always important, but they tend to miss the heart of the show. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why I love working with Troy so much because no matter what, I mean, we all, we always have shows that look very great there as well. And, you know, sound good and all that stuff too. But his main focus and priority is what story are we telling and how can we get that point across to the audience? And I think that's, um, for me, that's always the most important thing too. Like I could be wearing a paper bag, but as long as, you know, I am doing my job on stage and know what story I'm telling and can portray that to the audience. They're going to feel something um, no matter what I'm wearing, you know? Right. So I, 
I don't know if that really answers your question, but kind of. Well, kind of, yeah. I mean, there's there's directors that are very aggressive. There are directors that like, you do it my way, and, and if you're not going to do it my way, get out. And then there's mm-hmm. directors that understand when they have a talented actress who knows what they're doing, they kind of give you that leeway that you can really bring out the character in yourself. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, working with people multiple times, you've been through the growing pains. You you know what sure. to expect from them. They know what what they've got with you. Uh, mm-hmm. And the only show that I've been to uh, that Troy worked on at the Majestic Repertory was Animal Farm. Okay, I was blown away by just mm-hmm. in, in that little space. They really made you feel like you were on a farm. I mean, they truck, they oh, brought yeah. in all this dirt. They put up a little wooden fence. I mean, they really, really gave you the feel with the sound design and everything that you mm-hmm. were actually there with the animals. Mm-hmm. And I thought they really make good use of that space. I like that Absolutely. theater. Absolutely. I love it. I This is, um, so I've worked with them, I think I just said five times. I think that's correct. Um, but I've only, this is only my third show in that space. Um, I did Marie Antoinette and then Cabaret. Um, but both of those shows, he does such an amazing job at um, creating it an environment as well. Like it's not just, it's not just about, you know, the costumes and the sets it's, it's more about like especially with sound design and and lighting like you literally feel like when we did cabaret it was you felt like you were in this dingy nightclub the entire show like you felt like you were a part of it um and i think he has such a, a amazing way of um bringing those elements all together to make you you know it makes it easy for the audience to buy into what you're saying and doing because they feel like they're a part of it, you know? Um, but as far as, uh, hands-on hands-off directors, I would say I kind of like somewhere in the middle where maybe at first just kind of see what we naturally put together. And, um, like if we're blocking a scene, you know, just kind of Troy likes to, you know, read through the scene first, just straight up, like, not really try to block it at mm-hmm. first. So we just read it. So we understand the text and what we're saying and then um, get it on its feet and kind of just see where we naturally stand and what we naturally do. And then he kind of directs us from there. Mm-hmm. So I love that style because it gives me a chance to get my brain going and working and being like, okay, well, here's the window and here's the chair and here's the, this. So, you know, naturally, what would I do? And, 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 you know, I get my brain going and then, you know, we'll do the scene and I'll be like, okay, great, cool. But on this one part, you know, you sit here and can I have you stand on, on this and things like that. I I love that style versus, okay, I'm going to give you your blocking and you have to do exactly this before we even show that person what we, what we can do. You know, I, I, I don't love, um, I, I can't understand for certain shows like with national tours and if you're a Broadway replacement or things like that, like the show was already put into place. So you kind of have to step into that world as the last person right, would have, yeah, you know, yeah. I understand that to an extent, but you know, as far as creating the show for the first time, um, I really like that kind of middle ground where it's like all right let's see what you got first and then you know i'll come in and put some finishing touches on it make it look prettier and make it 
uh, you know, give you some levels and give you some insight and stuff like that. So I would say that's kind of my preferred directing method. Well, that makes sense. And it seems to me a, a reasonable progression to say, let's really get to know the script and let's really form our characters to the best mm-hmm. that we can. Then we'll start adding in other components like the blocking and the lighting and, and mm-hmm. all that, because you don't want to be saying, okay, I have to remember to take a four-step arc around the left side of this chair. And oh, by the way, right. you're not saying your line right. So you're going to have to fix that right. at the same time. <laughs> like it, those those other elements should almost be things that you're adding sort of subliminally as you're just yes. you know adding those spices to your your character's dialogue and action yes absolutely i 100 agree i think that for me too my i don't like to come into a show off book either because i feel like sometimes if you unless you know unless it's a very short period of time and you like really need to have your lines mm-hmm. completely memorized and whatnot because i feel like i like to get the lines ingrained into my body the way that I'm going to do them in the show. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, while we're doing blocking, you know, the first couple um, rehearsals or the first couple of times we do this scene, like I'll use my book and kind of do the blocking with it. And then I'll put my book down and try to do it without, because, you know, you obviously have to get off book, but it's, I think it's like you said, subliminally, like you kind of ingrain the words into your body as you're moving as well, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that's Well, one thing that's always impressed me about actors and with the few productions I've been involved with, uh, with the actors directly, as opposed to just doing audio or music uh-huh. is that when a director, like you guys do a rehearsal and then the director's like, okay, I have some notes. Um, at this point, when he says this, can you come into the room instead of when he says that? Or can you step off mm-hmm. a second earlier? Like, how do you integrate all those things when you already kind of have that set? Here's what I'm doing in my head. I think um, that's such a hard, that, that really actually is a hard question. Because for me, I think I have this like small cavity in my brain that like keeps all the notes while I'm doing the show Mm -hmm. and somehow like in Legally Blonde that happened a lot because we we really didn't get the stage until about a week before um, we opened yeah so we maybe a week and a half but so you know there were lots and lots of of notes and especially playing L you know I'm in every scene so obviously you know there's going to be more notes Um, so I think for that in particular I took note of all the notes and just kind of I didn't try to like go up on stage and redo it but what I did was during like tech rehearsals or during you know when we were running the full show I somehow like would keep the notes in my brain and as we were doing it I'm like oh yeah Keenan told me to to do that right here. So I'm going to try and see Mm -hmm. if he likes it better. You know, I think it's kind of like, as you go, as you're in the scene, you remember what the note they gave you was. At least that's how I work. I don't know. (laughs) That's how I work. I don't know how other actors work, but I, I, you know, some people will want to, before the show, you know, go run it and show the director and be like, Hey, did you like that? I can put it into the show tonight or whatever. And I think like, 
for big changes, that's really important. But if it's just like, hey, can you walk in the room like half a second earlier, half a second later? Like, that's just something that you kind of do as you go along, I think. Yeah. And it's probably hard for a lot of people to define some of these questions that I'm I'm asking you, because I think a lot of things that we do, we just do without necessarily right. stopping <laughs> and thinking about it. So I really appreciate you, you know, looking at these. Trying to figure it out. <laughs> yeah. But you mentioned, so you did uh, Marie Antoinette and then you did Cabaret, obviously a mm-hmm. huge contrast in characters, in yes. uh, everything. I mean, you're going from having basically your hands and your head exposed to almost all of you exposed. Is mm-hmm. that, where, what is the bigger challenge for you or, or is one of the two more empowering for you? Um, to this day, Marie Antoinette is still the, my favorite thing I've ever done. Really? Um, yeah. And it was play, uh, which is, I mean, I've done plays before, but you know, my degree is in musical theater. I'm a musical theater kid, but, um, that show was so incredible, like to work on the cast was absolutely amazing. And the story, Marie Antoinette's story is so insane um, that like the fact that I got to tell it was just mind blowing. But um, the show itself, I think that character, I I physically like stripped down during that show. Like I started, um, you know, with these gorgeous giant amazing costumes and wigs and you know, makeup and by the end of the show when um Rantana is is imprisoned um i had basically like a just a simple like frock basically on mm-hmm. and um you know the wigs were gone i had my natural hair in like braids and uh i actually at one point Rantana has this like mental breakdown in, in the middle of the show and she's just screaming and reliving her whole life and crying and just so emotional and um during that moment i was like ripping my eyelashes off and well fake eyelashes right. off <laughs> thankfully yeah <laughs> <Not my real. laughs> one and only performance of this yeah, show right. folks i know just, just gonna rip my whole face off it's fine uh, <laughs> but i <laughs> i you know was ripping my eyelashes off and you know taking my makeup off, makeup off so by the end of the show when i actually you know got executed com- i was completely stripped down like bare faced just this small little dress and and it was a, such an emotional roller coaster that show that um, I honestly like had to go home and sleep every night because I was I was so exhausted um, from from that performance. So that one uh, was yeah so emotionally like exhausting, but at the same time there was so many like that character is so you know, hoity-toity and funny and, and silly. And, and then to see her, you know, at the end, just be completely broken. It's like pretty heartbreaking, even though knowing, you know, what she did was so wrong. Sure. Um, you still kind of, the, the writing of the show is so brilliant that you still kind of really feel for her. Like you understand her story by the end of it, which is amazing. But, um, being in that show versus being in cabaret, I actually played uh, for Lane Cost in cabaret. Um, and one of uh, doubled as one of the Kit Kat girls and that show. Yeah. We, we physically actually did strip down. We were, uh, 
at one point uh, during Don't Tell Mama did uh, a burlesque act. So we had just had like pasties and little like boy shorts on by the end, <laughs> end of the show. So right. that one, um, I would actually say, weirdly enough, the shows are pretty similar as far as like emotional depth. Because mm. uh, Cabaret is a hard hitting show by the end of it. You know, yes. there's there's so much to that show and and my character um i don't play villains very often mm-hmm. yeah it's <laughs> i wonder a, why it's, but, but that's <laughs> not really your personality you're really much no. more like an l woods kind of person very much so um but um Berlin cost like she kind of was is a survivor so she just does everything she possibly can to be one step ahead and to be uh, to survive and uh, you know at one point she um sings this nazi anthem at a part between a jew and a german and completely turns the entire room against this couple that is you know just in love and trying trying to live their lives and that was because she needed to prove that you know she was she was strong she was a strong woman and you know nobody could take her down so in a in a weird sense <laughs> Caroline Cost and Marie Antoinette are actually very similar in that aspect so uh as far as characters you know there's there's a lot more that I had with Marie Antoinette um a lot more scene work and and all that um to get that character but with Caroline Cost you know there's a lot a lot less um but they're actually weirdly similar, and I'm only realizing that now. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah. So as far as like, and we actually did those shows back to back. So I did Marie Antoinette, and then jumped right into Cabaret. So oh, wow. I mean, they're totally, totally different worlds, mm-hmm. but the same kind of emotional depth um, to both of those shows, actually. So it was a very emotional couple months for me. Wow. And here I was, you know, as you were talking about, I was thinking, wow, that was a terrible comparison I made, and it turned out it wasn't. I, no, I wouldn't, no, I wouldn't no. have considered that. But but you said, you know, talking about how you would feel bad for Marie Antoinette, that reminded me when I read The Chamber by John Grisham, which was about uh, this mm-hmm. guy's great uncle or, or whoever it was in his family who was uh, imprisoned and he was sentenced to the gas chamber uh, and he was trying to, to free him. Uh, mm-hmm. You almost put aside what it was the person that the person did wrong because the Mm -hmm. explanation of what's about to happen to them when they go into the gas chamber is so horrific. Horrible. Yeah. That you really are like, nobody deserves that. I don't care what Mm -hmm. they do. You really set aside the crime and the damage that they caused from the punishment that they get. It's a really weird thing. And I didn't get that in the movie at all, but reading the book, it was very descriptive. It's, and honestly, I feel like those are some of my favorite kinds of stories and plays and, and, musicals um, even is just um almost the anti-hero mm-hmm. it's it's like you because you understand that every human has so many different facets to them and some people are just doing what they have to to survive some people are doing what they think is best and it's absolutely horrible mm-hmm. but they truly are just ignorant to that um and and they don't they don't know any better and that for Marie Antoinette I feel like that was her her downfall is that she she was never educated so she just didn't know and um and that was like her ignorance was her downfall and she completely you know (laughs) it ruined her life and ended in her death you know so 
I feel like sometimes those are like my favorite stories because you you know, especially historical stories like that, because you you know you know her for her, you know, her pitfalls and what she's done and in, in her uh what they tell you in the history books, but what they don't tell you is the interesting part. Um you know what they don't tell they you get the Wikipedia version of yes. what they did, right. but you don't understand like their actual story. And I, I remember after my mom saw the show, she's like, you know, growing up, I always hated Marie Antoinette because of you know everything that she did and and the downfall of uh, of uh, France and all of that. And she was like, I hated it. I hated her. But watching you in the show, it made me realize that she was just a kid and was put into a position that she had no reason like she had no place to be there you know she right. really couldn't have been queen but she was and she was a child mm-hmm. she didn't know any better um yeah. and you really get that and understand that so i think those are actually some of my favorite stories because you you know that these people are bad but you also kind of understand why they do what they do um i i saw the whipping man when i first moved to vegas oh, yeah. i think it was like the week mm-hmm. that i moved here and uh i i was embarrassed when I saw it because I realized, and, and I love this kind of intellectual stuff. I love things that make me look at thing, uh, situations from a completely different perspective. Mm-hmm. But in my head, I always thought, you know, the Civil War ended, slavery was abolished, the world moved on, it got better. But when you really look at it, and the part that I was embarrassed about, because I usually think things through fairly log- logistically, even though I mm-hmm. can't say it, I do. Um, but I (laughs) never put into my head the fact that yes, the slaves were freed, but it's not like there were plentiful jobs and they suddenly had education and there were things from the, most of them went back to working for the same people they were working for just under different law. Mm -hmm. And it, it really made me just start looking at things a lot differently going, I don't know everything that's behind what I'm seeing. And I think that in in society, we're huge on judging people, especially in social media, assuming that, well, you should know better. You shouldn't be saying that because you should know better, not taking into account, we don't know their upbringing. We don't know their education. We don't think about the fact that Marie Antoinette was a child. We just know that she did something hideous. Yeah, And we judge her for it. It's a really weird world. And you're really big on social media. Is that something that you enjoy? Or is it something that you feel like you just have to do that to you know to keep people interested um kind of both i feel like it's it's part of the gig you know when you're when when you are uh acting or you know any part of self-promotion like you kind of have to have all of the you know social media and, and website and all that all that jazz but um i enjoy it to an extent because i I'm a pretty open book for the most part. Um, and I like to share myself with people. So if I can, and that makes, you know, one person smile that day, that that's, you know, I'm great. I love that. So for the most part, I do sometimes like, you'll see, I will take like two weeks and not post anything because I just, you know, don't feel like it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think, I think there's a lot of people out there that are, you know, overdo it on social media and then there's people who you know refuse to have social media i'm kind of somewhere in the middle i i I enjoy (laughs) i enjoy it (laughs) i enjoy it for when i enjoy it and then i kind of push it to the side when i'm trying to 
do other things. <laughs> well, one thing that I really love about the way that you manage your social media, and especially I think I see you more so on Instagram uh, than anywhere mm-hmm. else, but is that you're, I think you're real. I don't think that you're somebody Thank that you. says, well, you know what? I'm supposed to be bubbly, so I better be bubbly today, even though I just yeah. feel like I want to lay in bed. Like you'll just take a video of you in bed saying, you know what, guys, I'm tired today. And yep. <laughs> I, I love that. I love that you don't feel like you have to show the world that you're perfect. Yeah, well, I think that being perfect is just so overrated, in my opinion. It's like, no, we've all we all have figured out by now that no one is. So I can't yeah. try to fool people. <laughs> right. um, and I'm five, like very far from it. So I just I think people I think that way about acting too. like people want to see real people do things, you know, uh, and if, you know, if I want to sit in bed and drink a Yoohoo at 12 a.m. and tell everybody about it and that makes somebody laugh then great you know um but I I think I think that's important I don't love when people are you know on social media trying to be perfect and amazing and you know obviously you know you want to put your your best foot out there but um I don't know. I'll never put anything horrible up. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. (laughs) But, you know, if I'm tired. I think you're right, though. And I I think, too, that when you think about the damage that has been done by models that and I'm not blaming the models for this, but but, you know, damage that have been done by models who are extremely thin and and always doing things Mm -hmm. to show that they're extremely thin or that they're perfect. And then these young girls, they have they take that as that's what I'm supposed to be. When exactly. they see and, and when they see people's lives supposedly look perfect and, and things all the time, it's like if you show them that you're real, then they'll know it's okay to be real too. And you get exactly. a lot of attention. So I think it's a great thing that you're showing people it's okay to be human. It's okay to be tired. It's okay to come off mm-hmm. of a show and not really feel like mingling with the crowd afterwards. And you mm-hmm. know, be human, be yourself. Let's let's just yeah. all take a step back and show each other what's real and not because I'm more likely to question people who are always being perfect than I am people who are, you know, showing that, that they're human. Exactly. And I feel like, as you said, I think the, the, the world of the influencer, the, the, I don't even know exactly what it is. The, the bloggers, the influencers, like Mm -hmm. I think what they're doing is amazing and I won't, you know, judge them for it because they're, they're, they're helping people in a certain, uh, manner, you know, sure. uh, telling people, you know, where they got their clothes and how to get discounts and, and things like that. Like I, you know, there's some health ones and there's uh fitness influencers. And I think they're absolutely great. Like I follow a bunch just for my own, you know, personal needs and stuff. But I do think that a lot of them, you know, they have the perfect house. They have the perfect, um, uh, decor in their house. They have the perfect clothes and the hair. And I think that that kind of, it's like the modern day model, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and I think that does damage people a little bit, um, to, to see that, you know, this person is only a year older than me, but they have a house and money and perfect everything. And, you know, I'm sitting here in an apartment and like in a, big t-shirt and crying every day you know <laughs> like, it, well, i hope not like, but yeah <laughs> it, no i'm not specifically but you know people be, be, people take that and they um they think that that's the way that 
that the world works. And it's like, no, I guarantee you that girl had like McDonald's French fries this morning, but she didn't post about it. So yeah, (laughs) yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, and that's the thing too, because that's the impression then that especially the, the younger people get of the world. And I watched this happen with people. I think that's a lot of why uh, diseases like bulimia became a bigger thing was mm-hmm. because the expectation was so high and people were going to extreme, uh, uh, I don't know what the right word is, uh, resources or, or whatever to achieve that. And mm-hmm. I think we're kind of doing the same thing with social media. So I really appreciate that you don't do that. Well, thank you. I try. I try. I mean, you know, obviously you want, uh, you don't want to put your worst out there. Sure. Um, but I think as real as you possibly can be, I think that's really important. Um, especially, you know, if you are in some sort of spotlight, even if it's a small spotlight and people, uh, can look up to you or, or, you know, see you and, you know, want to be similar to you. I think it's, it's important to to show them one that yeah you know people like me can can be weird and you know tired and bored and whatever too sure. but it's also important to put out that message of like but it doesn't matter what i do because you need to be you as well like exactly you yeah i'm glad that you know if i have touched anybody's life and and inspired them that's amazing but also like I want to touch and inspire your life um, in a way where you are going to be you and you are going to love you and you're going to, you know, embrace all those weird quirks that you have and, and show that to the world. You know, I think that that's the important message that I try as hard as I can (laughs) to, to put out on social media, sometimes not so much. Well, I think that you do a, a absolutely great job and I hope that more people start following suit. Uh, with that as well, because I think that it's, you know, I think anybody that has any exposure has a certain responsibility to that. And uh, I mean, mm-hmm. I don't mean that it's like the way the world is on their shoulders or anything, but no, I, I think that we do have a responsibility to the content that we put out there. And I'm I'm glad that mm-hmm. people, uh, there are people like you doing what you do. So thank you very much for that. Of course. Thank you. Absolutely. Now let's talk about Sweeney Todd, because that is your yes. next big thing coming up in between Vegas Golden Night gigs and all the other amazing things that you're doing. What was it that attracted you to this role? Now you're going to be back in period clothing again. So there's a different uh, feel to that. But what about Joanna is something that interests you? Um, This is going to sound so rude and I hope it doesn't, but we'll, well, you're keeping it real. Okay. (laughs) So I'm going to keep it real. So I have seen the show so many times, including the the movie version. I was obsessed with the movie when it came out and watched, I literally watched it for a month straight every single day. Um, <laughs> I was crazy about it, but I've always felt like Joanna's always played, um, very, just the typical ingenue. And at times, you know, I would say personally that she's kind of boring which if you think about her circumstances and what has happened to her in her lifetime, she, there's no way she's going to be boring. Right. You know, she's, she's literally been captured by a man that she is not her father and shut up in a room. She literally can't leave the house. And there's a creepy guy looking at her all the time. Like 
there is no way that she's going to be this boring, like, oh, sorry, father. Like, no. <laughs> yeah. Like, she, she, she's crazy. She's going to be a little cuckoo. And, you know, the fact that her, oh, I don't want to say any spoilers, but okay, we'll talk about her dad. Her dad <laughs> is Sweeney Todd, obviously. Right. Um, we know this. I'm not going to say any spoilers, though. But, you know, her, her dad goes crazy and is starting to, to, uh, kill people and you know have them being put into pies and all that stuff like there's probably a little bit of mental illness throughout the family like obviously he's pushed to a point where he ends up doing that but at the same time I feel like there you know there's probably something there so um I would say that that might run in the family and Joanna might be a little cuckoo you know you never know so I think what drew me to the role I've always loved the show, but what drew me to the role specifically is the challenge of like, how do I make this character different than I've seen it done in the past? And already uh, we actually, uh, Adam and I, he's playing Anthony. We had a a really amazing rehearsal with Troy a couple days ago um, where we staged Kiss Me, which is the the scene where Anthony uh, basically comes to save the day and he's like, I'm going to steal you away from here we're going to go get married. It's all going to be great. And, uh, the song is a whole patter song, probably like the fastest I've ever said words in my entire life is during the song. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, she's incredibly frantic and all over the place. And there's comedic bits literally written in the score. Like there, there are hits written in the music. There are comedic, uh, lines written for Joanna, like in the music. And I feel like every single time I've ever seen that, part of the show done it's always just oh hurry up we gotta go we gotta go and they never take the time to actually um like play those those bits and i think she's actually a really funny character but nobody really ever plays her like that um so i think what what that was the first thing was the challenge of um kind of doing something different with the role that i've never seen done before and um Two, just some the songs that she sings in the show, I have always been drawn to, and I'm very sad that they cut a lot of them out of the movie because her some of her songs are just absolutely stunning. Mm-hmm. So uh, that, and I haven't sung soprano since probably high school because <laughs> I usually do a little like more of the you know pop musical theater belting and and all that kind of stuff. That's kind of what I've been doing. Um, the last four or five years so yeah I haven't I haven't tried my soprano range and I, I used to have a, that was you I, I used to only have a very high soprano that was like my thing in high school and then I you know learned all the other stuff in college and and kind of gravitated towards that and those roles so getting back into um the more like legit stuff is really, really fun and interesting and, and very exciting. Cause I kind of was worried for a minute, but, but we're back. Oh, we're good. doing good. I, I was just going <laughs> to ask you if those muscles needed a little bit of uh, exercise. They did a little bit, but I kind of, you know, before I auditioned, I kind of had been uh, doing more higher soprano vocal warm ups and trying to get ready for it. And, and I still, I still have it in the back pocket, but I don't use it as much. So, sure. um, so it was really, uh, it's really kind of exciting for me to be able to jump back into something that I really haven't done in a while. Um, and, and feel 
relatively confident about it. Oh, good. So, yeah. yeah, it's 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 good. It's it's very exciting. But yeah, overall, the show is incredible, and the music. I'm a huge I'm fan. So any chance to do a Stephen Sondheim show, I will jump at the chance to do it. So uh, that's that's the main reason I want to do the show. <laughs> I, think, I love Sondheim. <laughs> I think that's a good reason <laughs> right there. Yeah. But you know, you you bring up a couple of very interesting points. I mean, when I saw the movie, I haven't seen the, the stage play, but I've seen the movie. And I mm-hmm. thought that Joanna was kind of more of an object in the yeah. story than she was important as a human. Yes. So I really like that that you're looking at doing a different take on it because I think that they really missed an opportunity with her to mm-hmm. bring out a lot of flavors that could have really enhanced the story. Exactly. And and two, I think um I find it interesting that they cut a lot of her stuff from from the movie and um they cut I don't want to give away any spoilers. Crap. Okay. Sure. We'll just uh we'll just talk about Joanna first. Okay. But, <laughs> well, so but, but maybe that's part of why she does seem so uh, less important in the movie is because they did cut out a lot of the things that would have brought that did. out. They did. They cut a lot of her personality from the show and you're, you're, or from the movie and you're, you're totally right in saying that she, I mean, she is an object for sure because there are quite literally, I think three or four different songs that the title is Joanna. Mm-hmm, right. Like, you know, between Antony's song, Joanna, there's, um, we're actually keeping the, there's a song that the judge sings, um, also called Joanna. And I think in the second act, there's a, a quartet, um, called Joanna and everyone's just singing about her, you know? And I think she becomes like this, uh, this object for sure. But, for me personally, I I don't, I would like to bring more of like a humanity to her. Um, because I, I think that's what makes it boring is that, oh, she's just this, you know, pretty little thing in a tower. Like, and that's fine, but you know, she's a person too. So, um, I think, I think that's, that's kind of my main goal is just having, you know, the audience also understand that she's a person and you know, these things are happening to her and she's absolutely terrified and doesn't want them to happen to her. And, <laughs> right, um, yeah. you know, so you, and Troy specifically is making this, well, he's not making it anything. He is just really bringing out, um, the reality of the story. And it's such a sad, real, like grueling story. And I feel like, <laughs> um, I feel like some some productions of it kind of glaze over the reality of what's actually happening. Mm-hmm. Right. And and what you also mentioned too that uh you know that there's probably a little bit of lunacy in the family because mm-hmm. certainly yes he was pushed but at the same point when you're pushed you go for a run, you go to the gym, you don't start chopping people right. up and making food out of them, you know. Right. That's not quite like that's not what a normal person would do. Right. But. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, and I don't, I don't know the story well enough because I've only seen mm-hmm. the movie, like I said, and, and I only saw it once, but mm-hmm. if, if they were telling the perspective of the sort of guy that's admiring her and he's not really seeing her with a personality, he's just seeing this sort of like delicious looking thing. Uh, mm-hmm. Then you kind of would say, okay, well, it makes sense that she's an object, but I didn't really get the sense that that's how the story was told. 
No, no. And I, I don't think it is. I think, um, like, especially with, with Antony's character, the sailor, it's, it's, more of a love at first sight kind of thing. And obviously, I mean, you know, there's obviously mostly a physical attraction with the love at, at first sight. But I think um, in the song Kiss Me and actually like a couple little scenes here and there, it, it shows the relationship between Antony and Joanna. And it it is that like a young love. But at the same time, there's got to be something underneath it. It can't just be oh, I saw this girl and she was pretty, um, so I want to steal her away from her family. Like, again, no one in their right mind would do that. <laughs> like, there's <laughs> right, got to be true. something yeah. underneath it. Um, and I think, you know, he's just uh, in, in captured by her by the the first sight, but then the, all the other encounters kind of make uh, him want to take her away, you know? Right. Yeah, it's it's definitely a, a unique story. I've never seen anything quite like it. I mean, uh, so yeah. many stories are just really revamps of other stories that we've heard. And, mm-hmm. and, but I do think that Sweeney Todd is a very unique one. And I could see it, an interest just in that fact alone. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's kind of what we were talking about earlier with the um, antihero. I mean, Sweeney is like the perfect antihero, in my opinion, because you find out his story and what happened to him and how he was, you know, sent to jail for literally nothing because the judge just wanted his wife. Like that's right. the only reason why. And he was, you know, wrongfully persecuted and sent away for 15 years and literally was, he escaped jail was swimming in the ocean to try to get back to London. And then a sailor picked him up and found him. So he's been through so much. So you understand um, what he's been through and, and him just wanting his family back at the end of the day, that's all he wants. Right. He wants the family back. And, and then he sees what has happened to them. And that's when, you know, the revenge kicks in. So you almost like you root for this guy <laughs> who is, who is wanting to slaughter other humans. And that's, that's crazy. You know, as, as a society, I don't think, you know, we really, normally do that we're not normally like yeah kill that guy like right not not normally um so it's kind of one of those bizarre moments where as an audience member you're like oh my god i'm rooting for this man to like murder all these humans like right yeah yeah (laughs) what is wrong with me (laughs) but that's that's kind of the beauty i think of of the arts is that we really can sway people to look at things from a completely different perspective that on the surface they would never ever do Exactly. Which is, it's cool. And, and I feel that way. I was watching Dexter. Uh, I've just binge watched all of Dexter recently. It's the same kind of thing where it's, you, um, you root this guy who's doing horrible things, but it's for a reason that you can get behind, you know? Right. Yeah. And it's strange how easy you fall into that. Right. Well, because they make you like him first, and that makes what he's mm-hmm. doing more acceptable because he right. doesn't just do it randomly. Like everything he does has what would be not a justifiable reason in, in the real world, but you understand why he's doing it. And you can kind of exactly. go, well, yeah, that guy was kind of a jerk, and I'm glad he's gone. And you really don't think about him Mm-mm. as a just cold hearted murderer. Mm-mm. There's like a few moments um, throughout the series where. 
you know, he starts to question that himself. Right. And he's like, am I just this monster? And, you know, obviously it ends how it ends. But um, he he eventually, I think, comes to the conclusion himself that he is kind of a monster, which, you know, you could you could argue still. Right. Uh, but but I think that's also what's interesting is like he has enough. Uh, I guess you could say empathy. He has enough empathy to like understand that what he's doing is is not quite okay <laughs> or or acceptable. But he has this need to do it, and he's doing it to get rid of the people that are just you know wrong, wrongfully you know doing things. Let's say that you were in a police station for whatever reason you witnessed a crime mm-hmm. or whatever, and he comes in to interview you. Would you feel, do you think, would you feel uncomfortable sitting next to him? Because I kind of feel like, I don't know if it was his social awkwardness or his fear of being caught that made him awkward, but I kind of feel like he's somebody I wouldn't, I would have a natural feeling like, I don't really want to spend more time with this person than I have to. Right. I I mean, it's weird because he's weirdly endearing too. It's like, he's so socially awkward that you're almost like oh it's so cute like (laughs) so I don't know (laughs) I'm not sure I think you know I I would like to think that I have pretty good instincts uh so I would probably be like oh something's up with this guy but I think he does do such a good job at being like this weird quirky awkward endearing guy that you know you might just pass it off as like social awkwardness you know um I don't know. That's such a that's such an interesting question. Yeah, I, I it wasn't long into the season where I was kind of like, why is everybody so friendly with him? When why aren't I they know. why aren't they finding him odd? Like that, yeah. like, there's always that one person in an office that you work with that's like you just think that Weird. he has a freezer in his garage that he keeps children in, oh, and sure. you know he seems like he would have been that guy at the, at the police station. Yeah, and I mean. I don't know. There's a Sergeant Dokes was like always. That's his name, yeah. I yeah, Sergeant so, yeah. Dokes. He was he was always on to him the whole time. That's true. He was. He was. But he was the only one, which is weird to me. Well, and I've heard that they're bring they're either bringing it back for another season or they're going to do a movie or something that, that's in the works for Dexter. And I I hope I kind of hope that they do, and I kind of hope that they don't because sometimes when you bring things back, it's just it just doesn't have that same energy. And, mm-hmm. you know, the writers have grown in different directions, so they're not in the in the groove of writing for that show anymore. I don't know. I, right. I, how do you feel about it? Do you want to see more? Um, OK, so I'm kind of with the whole um, group of people that thought the ending was absolutely horrendous. Yeah, me too. So, uh, so I would like for them to maybe try a redo, <laughs> maybe not a redo of the ending, but at least like kind of give us a little something else um, than what we got <laughs> at the end. Right. Uh, but I don't know if it should be a series. Like, I think if they're going to do anything like Breaking Bad just did a movie. I haven't I haven't seen it yet, but um, I think I think a movie would probably be better than that than trying to do more with the series. Um, Cause it, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't think they should try to mess with it too much because there was an uproar right, <laughs> when yeah. it ended, you know? So I don't think they should try to, they might just be better off leaving it where it is, but I would 
be interested. I would definitely watch it if they did a movie for yeah. sure. And I would say uh, for the Breaking Bad one, El Camino, um, I, I'm not going to say anything about it other than you. if you were a fan of the show, you should watch the movie and make your own determination. But I will say it is worth watching. Okay. I, and that's all. I don't want to spoil anything. Okay. Okay. I like that. Uh, so as as we wrap up here, and I appreciate so much the the time that you've given me today. I know it's been tough. Um, uh, and you see that soft landing I did as we wrap up. Uh, I love it. <laughs> what's what, you know thinking that there's probably going to be some aspiring uh, people in the entertainment industry that are going to listen to this show at some point. What advice would you give them as far as uh, you know? Kind of, you've done a great job of steering your career towards good projects. And obviously, you know, you, you've maintained your, your ability to uh, live and have jobs and things like that. What advice would you give to people that are trying to get to where you are? Um, I would say a couple things. Um, don't, be, don't be afraid to say no. That's one that I had to learn really, really hard. But also don't be afraid to say yes. Because mm-hmm. I think sometimes... Um, for me, if something was a bigger project or, uh, or something that could turn into something came up, I would get super nervous because I'm like, Oh, I like my life the way that it is. I don't want it. I don't want to, I don't want it to change or, uh, Oh, I'd be too far away from my family or I'd be too, you know, there's always the, the, the things that you could say, uh, would push you out of your comfort zone. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was for a really long time was always scared to say yes to things um, that could possibly be a big deal. Um, and I think also just kind of go with the flow. Uh, I've had the only reason that I have had any sort of success in what I've been doing is because I don't have expectations for everything. I kind of just, um, take everything at face value and take it for what it is. And, um, for instance, with the golden Knights, I actually started as one of their, um, cheerleaders and then was asked to come audition for the female host position. So going into that, I had no idea that this was going to be what my life was, um, and what my career was heading towards. I I had no idea, but um, if I didn't, I was really scared, but if I didn't say yes, uh, to that possibility, then, you know, I wouldn't be where I am right now. That's interesting. And and I think too, that, uh, if you had set the expectation of this is all this is ever going to be, I'm just going to be a cheerleader and that's it. Mm-hmm. You might not have shown whatever it was that they saw in you that said, you know, she's, she's more than this. Exactly. And I think, um, just having an open mind to everything is, and not, and not pigeonholing yourself into one category of, I am an actor or I am a singer. It's being open. Like I am now a host and never in my life would I have ever thought that that was going to happen. So, um, yeah, just really being, being open to whatever kind of comes your way and obviously weighing pros and cons and, and seeing if, that that will do you and your career well but just yeah being open-minded I think is huge in this industry and also just really being yourself and being kind to everybody that you come in contact with because 
that's the worst. I know so many people that are insanely talented, but they're divas or have a chip on their shoulder about something and they don't work anymore. And, um, or there are certain theater companies that won't hire them or they're, you know, this, this industry is very, very small, as huge as it is, it's very, very small. And, um, you always just want to be kind and don't be afraid to show yourself. I think. I love that. And I think that's the thing is it's not just about, and, and this is the stuff they don't really teach you in acting school. They teach you, you know, certain things, but the, uh, the real thing is be the whole package, be a good person, be <laughs> somebody that people want to work with. Exactly. That's, I think that's such an important thing because I've, there've been so many times that I, truly think that there was probably a girl that was a better singer than me or a better dancer than me or whatever. But because, you know, I've maybe worked with that director before and they know that, you know, I'm pretty easygoing. I'm an easy person to get along with. Mm -hmm. They want that energy in their, in their room. Um, So I think, you know, it's always, always super important to be be very kind and be a good person because yeah, you could be the most talented person in the world, but if you're a diva or, you know, have something, uh, a chip on your shoulder or something like that, you know, people, people will take note very, very fast. Yes. And we've certainly seen that in Hollywood as well, where people just, <laughs> they, they just get banned. They don't work anymore. Uh-huh. They start doing like really low budget indie films when they were in, you know, multi-million dollar big Hollywood productions and it's sad, right. but you know, and, and I can understand it to a certain element because there's really no training that teaches you how to deal with that kind of success. Right. But at the oh, same point, sure. if you've, if you've lost who you are along the way, then you're not the person that they hired in the first place. Exactly. No, that's, a, that's absolutely perfect way of, of putting it. Thank you. Well, Katie Marie, it has just been such a pleasure to talk to you. I'm so grateful that we were finally able to do this. I wish you guys the best with Sweeney Todd. Give us the dates of the show. Um, January 16th is when we open and we're supposed to close. I think it's January or February. You know, I'm not sure, but I think we might, we might be extending the show. It's, it's, it might be a little open end, so we're not, we're not sure, but it definitely opens the 16th. We'll get there. January. That's just yeah. get there. Cause we don't know. So we I don't wish, know when it's going to close. That's so. right. And of course you're going to get to work with uh, James who we had on the show not too long ago. Yes. He's putting his baton down. Yeah. And, yeah it's funny because I worked with him. Um, he was our music director for Legally Blonde. So mm-hmm. I've known him for, for a while. And, and it's cool to see him in a different setting. He's he's doing great. Yeah, I, I've only worked with him as a conductor, uh, as I've been doing audio over at UNLV from time to time. And uh, I'm very curious to see uh, what he's going to be like as an actor. But I, I wish you guys the best. I'm sure it's going to be very successful. And I love that you're injecting a, a new uh, vitamin of life into Joanna. I hope to. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. This is awesome. You bet. Come back and see us again. Absolutely. Anytime. Thank you. Take care, my friend. (laughs) Thank you. Bye-bye. You know, when it comes to bend and snap at my age, I'm lucky if I can even bend. How did you guys like that interview? Wasn't she just so bubbly? Don't you want to just hug her and just congratulate her for all the success and hard work? I love people like this. I love people that are just passionate to where it consumes them and they go for it and and just 
give it their all all the time. I, I really love that. You can catch her on TV on the home games for the Golden Knights. And you can catch the Haskin podcast as you have tonight anywhere uh, that it's available. iTunes, Apple Music, uh, or Apple Podcasts, I think it is now. Google Play, Podbean, all those places. And please share. Please give a star rating. Please leave comments. Uh, email me if you have any questions or suggestions. Scott at ScottHaskin.com. Thank you guys for uh, joining me for another episode. And we'll be back next week with another guest. Cheers. Cheers.